It seems everywhere we look these days, there's some sort of misinformation floating around. Most recently, we've seen it around the COVID-19 pandemic and vaccines. I'm sure you've seen the pictures all over the internet of people who've had these shots and now they're magnetised. They can put a key on their forehead, it sticks. They can put spoons and forks all over them and they can stick. The 2020 US presidential election. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country and 5G phone coverage. And then this 5G gets switched on, people drop like flies. But there are other types of misinformation that are potentially more dangerous and even deadly. I'm talking about viral cooking and food hacks. We've all seen them pop up on Instagram or TikTok. They're fast, they're bright, and usually have an upbeat soundtrack. But I spoke with food scientist and author Anne Reardon, who's using her YouTube channel How to Cook That to debunk these videos, their potentially dangerous methods, and often fake outcomes. Anne Reardon from How to Cook That, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. How did you get started in food? I, once I finished school, went to uni and did a degree in nutrition and food science and then from there went on to do postgraduate studies in dietetics to become a dietitian and worked as a community dietitian. I did public health dietitian. I also worked as a consultant for uh, some food companies and all different areas in dietetics. Did that for years and then actually resigned from that job to do some community work with some youth for quite a while until I had kids and then from there got into doing YouTube quite by accident. (laughs) Uh, What was it about food that got you excited? What did you love about it? So many things. What's not to love about food? (laughs) (laughs) Food food in itself is fascinating Um, but then once you delve into the science of it, there's just so much. I mean, essentially cooking is doing mini science experiments, you're mixing different ingredients and heating them up and seeing what the outcome's going to be. And small changes can make a big difference. And as, as well as the, the science side of it, though, we also just love that you can make people happy. Like it's, it's a fun way to um, give people different foods and just see how much difference what you serve can make. If you have people over for dinner and you order in pizzas, which 100% is fine, we do that sometimes depending on what you think, it's a completely different reaction to if you've prepared something special and it changes the whole dynamics of the evening. From there, you've moved online, you started a cooking blog. What prompted that? Uh, That was when I was pregnant with my third son and I knew I had a year off maternity leave and I love, love, love little babies, but changing nappies and doing feeds and all of that stuff really didn't use that much of my mind space and I knew that from previous kids so it takes a lot of time and it tires you out physically but mentally there wasn't a lot of stimulation there so I thought I'm going to start a website that I can work on during night feeds and basically just type with one hand and do all of that stuff so I would just post once a week on the website and obviously that got a good reaction. You moved into the YouTube space. How did you find that transition? Well, I only did videos occasionally. I was doing blog posts every week and did videos occasionally if I felt like I couldn't or I could explain it better with a video, especially cake decorating type stuff. Showing is much easier than doing and there was virtually no videos about cake decorating back then on YouTube so I filmed some videos and then I tried to upload them to my website and they were too big 
So I put them on YouTube literally as a storage website in order to embed them on my website. Being a YouTuber didn't exist. This is like 10 years ago. Nobody knew you could make money from YouTube. You couldn't just upload and start making money. You had to be invited to their partner program, which I didn't know existed. So literally I put them up as a storage site space, not <laughs> not to become a YouTuber. And obviously at some point you then moved into almost primarily becoming a YouTuber. What was that change? Yeah, so I started uploading weekly videos. That was near the end of the year off maternity leave and we could see that the videos were doing really well. The website was doing really well as well and YouTube had emailed me saying, do you want to monetize your videos? And I'd ignored it thinking, yeah, it's not actually going to make any money anyway. And eventually I filled out the form just to stop them emailing me and then realized this could become my part-time job and I could stay at home, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to stay home until my youngest started school, which is what I'd done with my other two boys, which is not for everyone. Some people want to go straight back to work, but that was what I really wanted to do. So I thought, let's give it a go and see if it grows or if it <laughs> totally tanks, then I'll have to go to work. But it, um, it grew far beyond what we ever expected. The, the reason I came across your videos is some of the ones that you're doing about debunking these hacks that come up online. Um, what made you start sort of wanting to debunk these and expose the lies in some of these videos? I think it's sad that this is even necessary. Like when I started way back then, everyone posted videos to help people. Like you would never imagine trying to post a video that you knew was false. Like there's a difference between misinformation and disinformation and that's that one of them is deliberate. If it's misinformation, if I put up a, a recipe and I'm explaining how something works but I didn't actually know and so the person had no background in food and that's how they thought it worked, that would be misinformation. But if you know that what you're saying is wrong, like some of the videos say mix together ice cream and icing sugar and you'll get this beautiful thick whipped frosting, that's physically impossible. There's no way that they did that. So they've switched it out for a different frosting at the end. That's disinformation because they know that it's not true, but they're doing it for financial gain to get views. I think you've called it like a content farm. Yes. So a lot of them are coming from content farms, but sadly more people are copying that trend now. So some of them are not content farms. Some of them are normal, uh, just normal creators like you or I. So a content farm is where you've got 50, 60 stations all filming video at once and you're pumping out just hundreds of videos a month all to just game the algorithm to get heaps of views. But normal creators now are doing the same thing, making fake content, making it look like it's a real recipe and the outcome is not possible from what they're saying they're doing. And some of them can get dangerous. Some of them are just going to waste a lot of ingredients and We've had feedback of different people going, I'm so glad you debunked this because my daughter tried this, it failed, so she thought that she couldn't cook, she hasn't cooked since. And so it can actually have long-term flow-on effects that people are just not considering the audience. Well, I guess a lot of people do turn to YouTube for how-tos, how do I do this and, and do it right, I suppose, and then they're coming across these and it's completely false and, as you say, it, it throws them off. That's right. And they're well produced. That's the thing. It's not like it's a dodgy, dodgily filmed, bad sound quality. They're well produced. So they look like they should be real. And a lot of people have that um, 
I guess, a misconception of why would anybody fake this? And then the other thing that they're not sure about is, well, if it is fake, why wouldn't YouTube take it down? Or why wouldn't Facebook take it down? Surely if it's fake, they wouldn't leave it up there. But they don't have a policy against fake hacks, fake DIYs, fake recipes. They don't even have a policy against dangerous hacks. They have a policy against dangerous pranks, but there's nothing against dangerous hacks, which I've had a discussion with them about of that probably needs to be in, in the policies somewhere. But the trouble with these platforms is it's their policies. They get to make them up. They get to decide if they want to have a policy against it. And even if they have one, whether they enforce it or don't, it's completely within their power. And I guess it's one of those things where um, we've seen a lot of disinformation uh, surrounding, you know, COVID and vaccines and, you know, back even to the, the Trump, um, the election type thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will probably think, you know, recipes and hacks, you know, who cares if it's wrong or if it's, you know, disinformation or it's fake. What do you say to that? Well, two things is we really try and promote STEM in schools. We try and get kids interested in science. And this is science giving them incorrect information. So from that perspective of it, I think that if it was, uh, if it's incorrect history, that seems to get jumped on. <laughs> there was a few videos out there that showed stuff that was completely wrong about that. And politics gets jumped on. Why is science getting the it's okay to tell kids incorrect information about that? And the other side of it, as I said, is the actual food waste. We don't want to waste large quantities of food. And you just imagine how many people tried whipping ice cream with icing sugar and then the only thing you get is a liquidy mess, which is going to go down the sink. We're trying to decrease food waste. We don't want to increase that with wasted problems. And then the other thing is some of them are just dangerous. There was one I talked about in the latest video, which is potentially going to ruin a clothes dryer where they put sugar in a clothes dryer and then turn that on to make cotton candy, which a lot of people are like, well, an adult wouldn't believe that. I'm like, you know, but a child might believe that. And if they put that in and turn it on and ruin a clothes dryer, that's not just food waste, that's ruining electrical appliances. So there's things like that that you go, okay, why, why do we think this is okay? Because I agree, a supervised child's not going to do that. A fully capable adult probably wouldn't do that. But someone with a disability or an unsupervised child, they might do that. And they're the vulnerable people in the society. We should be protecting them. And I guess for most of us, we probably go, well, that seems crazy. Like, that wouldn't happen. But if you see a video where it looks like it's happening, then you might, well... Like maybe I should give that a go. Maybe it might work. And that's an extreme example that I think most people would see it and would think it was crazy. But other ones, like I said, like the ice cream frosting, most people who saw that didn't think it was crazy. They thought it would work. And I think of the people who watch debunking, we've got a 50-50 mix of people who've seen them and have a food background or a cooking background like chefs and they're so annoyed that they're allowed to be on the platform and so they're seeing it going, yes, finally someone's talking about it. And the other 50% that are going, I totally believed all those. I thought they were real. Um, I, I don't understand why anyone would fake this. And so not realising the, the money that's going behind those views that they're generating by making unreal things seem real. Along with your debunking videos, you actually attempt uh, what these videos show and show the real outcome of what happens when you try what these videos show you. How, how does that go most of the time? Like, are you even scared sometimes about the outcome or what's going to happen? I think with the food science background, I, I pretty much know 
what's going to happen. Like I can watch the video and go, that won't work. And I know why it won't work. And like, you just know what's going to happen when you do it. Like uh, the moment there's a lot of like popcorn, put sugar in the pan with the popping corn with the oil or put ice cream in a pan with the popping corn with the oil. Any sugar is going to burn before the popping corn pops. You don't end up with flavoured caramel popcorn. That's not how you do that. So I know that it's going to burn. I know that it is going to absolutely stink of burnt sugar and I'm going to have to scrub that pan. Um, so, yes, it's more a matter of knowing what's going to happen but doing it anyway so that you can actually demonstrate it to people because once they've seen it falsely work on a video, they need to see what really happens in order to sort of re-educate your mind. Have any of those gone away that you didn't expect? No, no. Most of them I know what's going to happen. So, yeah, it it burns and <laughs> it, that's, yeah, I think once you know food science and you know cooking, like I think most chefs would watch it going, yep, that's not going to work, that's going to burn or that's going to do this. Or if, if you're very familiar with cooking and food, you would know that's not going to work. It's people who don't know how to cook watching these videos who are going to try it and burn their pan and have to scrub their pan and waste the food <laughs> and have all the smoke in their kitchen. Now, as well as showing what happens when those things go wrong, someone has to taste it. And in mm -hmm. your case, it's your husband, Dave. He's the That's guinea pig right. <laughs> for all the debunked foods and hacks. Um, how does he feel about, you know, having to taste all that? <laughs> He um, definitely is uh, – sometimes he's like, oh, really, is it a debunking video again? <laughs> because if it's a normal video, he's going to get really nice food. So he's had it pretty good. Ten years of YouTube, I've only been debunking for the last couple. So up until now, everything's been tasting amazing. And, yes, so now it's a bit of a worry <laughs> when it's a debunking. He's always like, uh oh how bad is it going to be? But I try not to tell him anything so that he can have – you, you get his straight reaction of what – if I've already told him what it is before he tastes it, then you're going to get you, not the true reaction. Whereas if he doesn't know, he can taste it and then go, yeah, <laughs> you've seen his reactions. You can yeah. get the actual honest opinion. <laughs> and even the kids get involved as well. I've seen you've had them mixing up some, you know, uh, their own Coke concoctions and all that sort of thing. Yes, that's right. They get involved in the channel if they're, they're not um, busy at the moment. We've got – one of them studying for VC exams. So, um, yeah, if they are available and they want to be in a video, then they get on board too. We were talking about sort of the danger of some of those hacks. What do you think is the most dangerous one that you've come across, even if you haven't debunked it? Mm, most of the ones that are involving actual fire, using some sort of uh, flammable liquid to get that fire going. So making a, a burner... Um, your own burner in the Coke cans, that sort of stuff. Just they don't have enough warnings on them. So there was a case in China where two teenage girls died. They were following one where they made a like a popcorn popper out of a Coke can and you c could do that safely but it can also go very wrong if you don't know the basics of using flammable liquids. And it, it's presented in a way that it looks like a kid could do it and it doesn't come with any of the warnings. So that's where there's the issues. So if you have got the burning alcohol in something and you light it up, that flame's really hard to see 
because it's a, a clear blue flame. So if it's a very light room, it's hard to know that it's even on. If you then add more alcohol, which is what they did from the bottle, that flame can follow the alcohol up to the bottle and make the whole bottle explode and you've then got flaming alcohol everywhere. So anything that involves flames, fire, I just think needs to have the proper safety warnings on it for that reason. And one of the content farms I saw an interview with one of their people and they said they were doing something with the burner and nearly set the whole studio on fire but they had a fire extinguisher there so they put it out. Well, none of the things say you have to have a fire extinguisher next to it. They, <laughs> so they've got safety precautions but the audience doesn't even get the warning, let alone safety precautions. And I guess in that respect too, something like as small as a popcorn popper really, like why would you need to do that? Like we've got microwaves, we've got popcorn poppers, like what's the point? Well, the point is that if I show you how to make popcorn in the microwave or how to make it in a popcorn popper, you've seen it before. Mm. It's not new. So you're not amazed by it. You don't share it. It doesn't get heaps of comments and it doesn't get heaps of views. So if I show you something that's new that you've never seen before, it's far more likely to do well with views and views mean money. And in food, most people know recipes like spaghetti bolognese is spaghetti bolognese. You know how to make it. And same in baking. Cakes are mixed together the, the butter and the sugar and add the eggs and flour and you're going to add some baking powder, you'll get a cake. But if I can show you something completely new and different, then that's going to get more views. It's just very hard to come up with something new and different in food that is impressive that's not totally made up. Away from the dangerous ones, what is just the most outrageously ludicrous hack that you've come across? Oh, there are so many that are... But the the more extreme they get, then I think they can lean towards the comedy videos. As long as they're obvious, they can't work. I don't actually mind comedy how-to videos that are... If they're so obvious that they can't work. Uh, like the How To Basic channel, he's an Australian guy. He starts out all serious as if he's showing you how to do something and always ends up throwing eggs at it. And so it's it's obvious he's going for the comedy vibe. He's not trying to trick you that this is a proper how-to video. Um, but, yes, as far as the – they've got at the moment sitting on my bench, I've got a watermelon covered in cement with bandages because that's supposed to make it last until New Year's. And so, again, why would that make it last till New Year's? It's not going to make any difference. But I've got it sitting there so that I can cut it open to show you what happens at New Year's. <laughs> um, there's just things like that that logically, in order to try it, you're going to have to invest some time in it. But you're also going to waste some food again. Have any of those channels that you sort of exposed been in touch and said, what's going on? Like, why, why are you doing this? Uh, well, I know they know of the channel because when news stories uh, have interviewed me they've and also interviewed them, they are very familiar with the, the videos and very familiar with it. But you can't actually um, ask for it to be taken down even if you don't like it when it's fair comment, when the person's actually saying true information and exposing truth. You can't actually say, well, you can't say that because it's not defamation when you're, when it's true. Fair enough. Uh, on top of the debunking, you also do some like cake rescue type things. Do people actually send you photos of their cakes and say, how do I fix this? 
<laughs> they do. <laughs> Since I've been doing Cake Rescue, we've been getting quite a few emails with, I don't know what went wrong. Here's a picture of a cake I tried to make from some website somewhere and um, how, how would you rescue this? And <laughs> so, yes, and even my neighbour across the road called and went, help, I need help, I don't know what to do with this cake. I'm like, can you video it for me so I can use it in my video? <laughs> and uh, this is how I would rescue it, which is what she did and had the party. It was all good. Um, is a cake worth rescuing or should you just start again? It depends. So if you've used salt instead of sugar, you can't rest. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but if it tastes good, which is usually if you've followed a reasonable recipe, it's going to taste great. So you don't want to waste it. So it's a matter of uh, how can you turn that into something that, that looks good because it probably tastes fine, but you want to present it nicely. All right. Uh, on top of the videos, you've also recently re- on top of the videos, you've also recently released a book. Tell us about that. Yes, we released a, and my first cookbook after 10 years. took me a while to actually get around to doing it. It's called Crazy Sweet Creations. It's been going amazingly well, far better than I thought it would. I don't know why, but it's been, yeah, a bestseller in the UK and the US and it was very, very exciting and has lots of desserts in them and they actually work. They've been tested by multiple people to make sure everything's great and you will get the outcome that you're supposed to get at the end of it. I was going to say, I think I saw on some of your show, uh, your socials the lineup of people to sort of meet you. And I, I know it was in the middle of the pandemic, so you couldn't do a normal book tour. But in Melbourne, I think, or Sydney, you could do um, a, a bit of a, a signing. And the line was huge. Yes, that was. We squeezed one in in Melbourne before the lockdown. So we had ones booked in Sydney and Perth. And they, of course, had to be cancelled because we couldn't leave Melbourne. If we did, we weren't allowed back and Perth won't let you in, of course. Uh, So we will eventually go there because we've got subscribers who are going, we wanted you to come, we were all set to come and meet you and it all got cancelled with COVID. But we got the Melbourne one in and police came to make sure people were social distancing in that line and that we didn't have more than the set number of limited people inside at a time. And it was great, great to actually meet people in person and have that sort of celebration of launching the book before everything got shut down and locked down. Yeah, absolutely. Have you been busy, um, obviously, with the videos and that during lockdown? Has it given you lots of time to sort of come up with content? Well, yes and no, because homeschooling, <laughs> I have a year four, so <laughs> um, homeschooling and makes everything difficult. So I usually work from home. I've got my studio here at home so I could continue working, but I'm not used to having everyone else at home and in the house. So it makes it difficult to have quiet and <laughs> I often had to restart stuff I was saying in order to remind someone that I was trying to film and it's been a juggle and I'm really glad that school will be back on Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. I guess before we go, um, how much, how much do you get sent from people? Like how many emails or I guess social messages do you get from people saying, here's a fake video or I need this rescued or how would you do this? Like how much feedback do you get? A lot, a lot. And I always tell people to send me them on Twitter only because I do not even read my messages on Instagram or Facebook because there's just way, way too many Um, and I find it easier to scroll through them on Twitter and I have to make a choice. I can't do everything. We've already got all the comments on YouTube plus then if you add then Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and the website itself and everywhere, there's so, so many that I just went, I just pick and choose. Send it to me on Twitter and I'll see it. 
All right. So final question. If people are scrolling through YouTube and they come across some hack or video or recipe, what's your top advice um, for making sure it's either a decent video or proper or it's just complete fake? The number one thing would be to check the source of the channel, which people often send me channels as well and say, can you check who this channel is so they know if it's a legitimate one or not. It can be tricky to check that. So in general, the content farms usually have no voiceover because they do it in multiple countries. They'll just change the title to a different language. So if it's just quickly done, no voiceover and music, then it may not work. You're pretty much going 50-50 on whether that's going to work or not. Uh, so you can choose to experiment, but you might be wasting your time and your food if you do. So if you find a channel where you've got an actual person speaking to you and talking you through it, that's far more likely to work as a recipe video. And I guess uh, your top source should be how to cook that on YouTube. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Anne Reardon, such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for talking about this channel because I, I think it's great. I've seen a lot of your videos come up and I, would, I was just always fascinated about uh, how it came to be and just the behind the scenes of it. So uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Anne's book, Crazy Sweet Creations, is available now wherever you get your books from. We reached out to YouTube for a response to Anne's claims regarding their policy against dangerous hacks. They hadn't responded to our specific questions at the time of uploading, but broadly, the platform states that they're always working to balance creative expression with their responsibility to protect the community from harmful content. We'll add any specific response YouTube supplies in our show notes. You'll find more on this story at 7news.com.au forward slash real life. And don't forget to subscribe for more real life episodes coming up. For 7news.com.au, I'm Damien Huffenden and this has been Real Life. Real Life.